to me that Christmas Day has come and gone, and we're in for a wait, a wait through what could prove to be a long winter. And so as we reflect on God's word, I'd like to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31, as we reflect on this scripture, particularly around the concept of waiting. Would you open up your hearts with me to the Lord? Lord, we welcome you into our hearts, and we ask that you would open our ears to hear your word, and that you would move and touch, heal, and redeem through the renewal of our strength that we desperately need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Waiting. Waiting was a significant part of the story where Tracy, my wife Tracy, and I met. We uh, met on a retreat, uh, at a church retreat here at Park Street uh, some 20 years ago. And at that retreat, when I laid my eyes on her, I knew that Tracy was to be my wife. It was one of these remarkable certainties that just overcame me, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, that was in the summer, and then over the course of the fall, I asked Tracy out on, on a couple dates, and each time she said that she was too busy. So she never said that no, which gave me a little bit of hope. And then finally, in, in December, I asked once more, and she said yes. Yeah, but then she was going to California to be with her family, so I had to wait till January. And then on January 4th, in fact, 20 years ago, next, next Sunday, uh, Tracy and I, after this 11 o'clock service, we went to the North End and we had this wonderful romantic lunch together. And uh, I was just amazed that God was doing this, thinking that Tracy was in the exact same place as me. Three days later, we went on our second date. It was this eight-hour date. Uh, we went all over the city. I had an incredible time. And at the end of this date, we went uh, for dinner. And, um, and I had the audacity to say to Tracy that we were going to get married. Now, I didn't, I didn't ask her to marry me. I just said more matter-of-factly that this was going to happen. And in fact, I, I brought... Uh, as some of the goodies that I brought, I brought my entire um, personal photo album. It was this thick album from birth all the way up to present time, and I walked her through over this dinner, I walked her through my picture book thinking that she needed to catch up on my life so that we could get going. After uh, that, a few days later, we talked on the phone, and Tracy told me that she was not ready to go out with me again. And I was stunned, honestly. I couldn't believe it, because I was certain. In fact, I knew it as if God himself had, spoke, had told me. And I was bewildered and confused and incredibly disappointed. You know, there, there's, a, there's an old movie, a romantic comedy, uh, I think it's called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Well, I had, in less than 10 days, figured out how to lose a woman and, uh, through, my, through my actions and being far too forward. Uh, well, months passed, and I was disappointed and confused and wondering what on earth had happened. 
Why did this happen? How could I have been so certain and been wrong? Well, I'll tell you more a little bit of what happens there. But I was in for a long wait. Why does God have us wait? Well, waiting transforms. Waiting does something to us. Inevitably, one way or another, waiting changes you. In verse 27, it begins, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And it's interesting that our text immediately identifies the person of Jacob. In fact, you, you can't quite tell in the English, but in the Hebrew it becomes clear that this particular text is directing us back to the life of Jacob, the person that's named, and in particular Genesis chapter 31. In Genesis chapter 31, there are actually six words that are used in Isaiah 40, 27 through 31 that show up exactly in uh, Genesis 31 in regards to the life of Jacob. The word renew, strength, weary, hidden, disregarded. It refers to, in verse 30, to, uh, in Isaiah, to young men. And Jacob, he, if you remember the story of Jacob, he left uh, his family uh, being pursued by es Esau, his brother, um, and he, Jacob was a deceitful man and a swindler. And he went to his uh, mother's family in Haran. And there, Jacob, as a young man, had to wait. Uh, for seven years, he had to wait for his new beloved, Rachel, uh, who Uncle Laban was holding back uh, until Jacob served his seven years of time. And then, of course, you might know the story that uh, Jacob was tricked by his uncle, and he got the older sister, Leah, who he was not in love with, and that's who he ended up marrying. He then had to wait seven more years uh, to finally marry uh, Rachel. And then Uncle Laban uh, welcomed uh, Jacob to take care of his flock, and uh, he did this for six more years. All the while, uh, Laban was uh, practicing uh, business practices that were unfair to Jacob. And Jacob, he went to Haran as a man who was a swindler and deceitful and one who did not actually have a relationship with God. In, in chapter 31 of Genesis, he, he says, in verse 41, he says, These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. That word changed is actually the word that shows up in Isaiah 40, verse 31, that he renews our strength. He, God changes our strength. But of course, what Isaiah is showing is that while Laban did it negatively to Jacob's harm, God brings change of strength for our good. And Jacob continues, if the God of my father, the son of Abraham, the, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would, have, you would have sent me away empty-handed. And God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked, rebuked you last night in a, in a dream. Jacob went to Haran, a deceitful man. He was a, a master swindler as a young man, but he was outswindled by Uncle Laban. And 20 years of waiting. 20 years of waiting changed Jacob. Changed him for the better. Because when he went and returned home, he was a man looking for forgiveness. He was a man who knew God and who had met God. And many of his deceitful ways through the waiting had been 
punished out of him. Why does God have us wait? Well, it's because waiting on the Lord brings transformation. It brings transformation. It, it changes us. How does waiting transform us? How does waiting on the Lord bring that change? And I want us to consider three ways in this text in Isaiah, three ways that waiting on the Lord transforms. Let's consider the first. Waiting on the Lord transforms time. Waiting on the Lord transforms time. Again, in verse 31, it says, they that wait on the Lord. That word wait, it's an interesting word, and it actually has two meanings that are simultaneously true. It both means hope and it means wait. It can be translated either way, and actually it means both at the same time. You could say those that hope on the Lord shall renew their strength, or they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. But there is a subtle difference between the two ideas. Hope is future pointing. It's a, a kind of certainty in God's promises that they will be fulfilled, but it's future thinking. It's a focus on what hasn't happened and what is to come. Waiting is not future thinking. Waiting is paying attention to the present moment. It's a focus on the now. What do you do when you wait? It's a concentration on the present. Because hope, when it's disentangled from waiting, can become imbalanced and unhelpful. Hope alone ends up leading us to fixate on the future, being like the children uh, who are hunting around, sneaking around before Christmas, trying to figure out what the presents are. And I, 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 I remember doing this, going, uh, sneaking under my, my, in my parents' bedroom, under the bed, uh, finding presents that uh, were supposed to come on Christmas, but I couldn't wait, uh, just thinking in hope and expectation of what was coming. Uh, I heard a confession on Christmas night from someone who I won't name, uh, but was told that, uh, that through Amazon.com, he was able to track our, uh, the presents that we were ordering, and he even knew when they arrived. So uh, the manner and mechanisms change, but the impulse appears to remain the same. We fixate on the future, and perhaps you're in a place of waiting for health, or for a job, or for a, or a relationship. And you can constantly think about what isn't yet, and it will drive you mad. It will lock you up, and it will not do healthy things for you. It's a temptation, which is why the idea of waiting, it's, it's important to consider this time of waiting on the Lord is a call to pay attention to the now. Waiting on the Lord is, well, it's important to think about the future. There's no doubt. It's proper to plan for the future, but it's improper to live in the future. So the Lord calls us to, to bring our hearts, our minds, our attentions to the present moment, to today. And this delightful thing happens when you start to focus on now. Your heart becomes unlocked. And you begin, you begin to become freed. And you begin to realize of the endless possibilities that lie right before you. 
one day I found myself kind of angry with God, bargaining with God, in fact. Why haven't you given me this thing that I had been waiting for? And I remember saying, haven't I been living a godly life? Immediately when I said that, I sensed the Holy Spirit in my mind, quote scripture, and say, godliness with contentment. That is great gain. That comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Yeah, I was maybe living a godly life, but I was not content with where God has me. And so he invites us to be in the present, to live in the present, to see what is right before you, the relationships that are before you, the opportunities that are before you, the delights of this life that are right before us. And we're called to cultivate practices of patience and of contentment, of content, contentment as we wait. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me just name a couple that I have found helpful. Perhaps you have found others that have helped you find contentment. One is dealing or engaging in a wholesome hobby. It doesn't sound that spiritual, but I think it is. It's, it's something that the Lord, hobbies are things that the Lord gives us. And of course, hobbies can get, get out of line or take over your life. But something that's wholesome and, and has its right place is actually a wonderful way. Hobbies have this way of connecting you to the present moment, whether you're doing a crossword puzzle or playing golf or knitting or whatever it is, woodworking, all types of hobbies that have within their practice tying you to the present moment, bringing your focus to the present moment. And the hobbies are intended to teach us how to live, to live within the present, not to worry about tomorrow or be anxious about it, because today has enough worries and you can enjoy today rather than be locked up constantly thinking about what you can't control. Hobbies are a great, great way of, of helping us learn that practice. Another is thanking God. Thanking God. Each day uh, in our Sunday worship community, we thank God. Uh, we've done this together, thanking God for five things each day. And that's an amazing practice that really helps you see all that is before you. Lord, thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this home, for this bed, for this pillow. I mean, you can go on. There is a lot, actually, if you would pay attention to what is right in front of you, there's a tremendous amount to be grateful for. And cultivating that heart of, of gratitude fills you with a sense of contentment because there's so much to be to be joyful for. Are you cultivating that contentment within you? Another practice is to have a prayer list and to pray for others in their needs. I have a daily prayer list of people that I'm praying for, many different needs. And it cultivates within me a heart of compassion and love for others. And it helps me take the focus off myself and on tomorrow and to focus on today and the needs of today. So waiting on the Lord, it transforms time. There's this temptation to go get ahead and focus on the future, but the invitation of waiting is to focus and bring your attention on all that the Lord has done today. There's a second. It's that waiting on the Lord transforms unbelief. Waiting on the Lord is this season of time that has the power to transform unbelief. If you look at verse 27. 
It says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. You can hear the person muddling this over in their mind, wondering where on earth has God gone in the present situation in which they're waiting for. One of the blessings of waiting is that it, it bubbles over unbelief. The unbelief was already there when you have. But when you don't have and you're forced into this time of waiting, what often happens is we begin to have the unbelief emerge. It bubbles up. And that part is a gift because we all have unbelief. Every one of us other than Jesus himself. Where we're dealing with unbelief and we need to deal with it. And waiting gives this gift of seeing it, acknowledging it, and engaging in it. Waiting forces up the unbelief and, well, I was thinking of a friend as I was considering this, a friend of Tracy and, and mine who uh, was waiting to get married and she was waiting a long time and that waiting grew bitterness within her towards God and she finally took matters into her own hands and, uh, and in the process she got married, she got her husband, uh, but she lost her faith and lost her, her greater husband in, in the process. And, and I'm concerned for her because it only sets her and her husband up for disappointment in the future. Because if you think about it, how can she eventually not become disillusioned with her spouse and with marriage, having substituted God for the person that she married? Or how about him? How can that spouse not become embittered because he cannot possibly fill the shoes in the expectations of the woman that he married. Now, the, the counter to unbelief is actually found after verse 27 in verse 28. It's about remembering God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Do you see what, what, the Psalm, or what, what Isaiah is doing here in verse 28 and what we're being taught to do? As we struggle, as the unbelief emerges, there is this call to see and remember and recall who God is in himself. We experience life bound by time and nature, but it says the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And so we can begin to remember, if he is timeless and creator, then he has all of these things in his hands. We feel pandemic fatigue, relationship fatigue. Many of us feel body fatigue, and we exhaust ourselves trying to get out of it. But it says God does not faint or grow weary. That is, he's all-powerful. His understanding is unsearchable. He's all-wise. And as we begin to ponder and remember who God is, this is how we deal with the unbelief. It's the, it's the antidote. Remembering God. Bringing your mind and your heart to meditate. No, this is who God is. He does not forget me. You take the lies, the untruths that you speak to yourself, and you speak the promises of God. You, you remind yourself of who God truly is. I counsel to... My friend, if she were listening in regards to her unbelief, is that even now the, the Lord invites you back. 
He invites you and your, your whole family back to him, though you were unwilling to wait. Even now, the Lord waits for you out of his great love and compassion. He calls upon you. And, and if you are listening and you've been in a place of unbelief, living in a place of unbelief, the invitation from the Lord is to say just a few words to him that I want relationship again. Would you come and talk to me and meet me? That prayer will be honored. The Holy Spirit will come and show you his presence and his power. What if you're struggling with unbelief right now? You believe, but you have that unbelief. Well, there are, our, our passage suggests different ways of engaging this. First is, of course, to acknowledge the unbelief. The worst thing that we can do in following Jesus is to suppress the unbelief. No, 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 I'm not paying attention to that. No, 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 I'm not really feeling that or saying that. Rather than suppress it, you need to acknowledge it to yourself and acknowledge it to God. And then we can move from acknowledgement to analyzing it. All, all unbelief has untruth embedded in it. You can look at verse 27. My way is hidden. Or that's untruth about yourself. Or, or it's untruth about God. My right is disregarded by God. No, that we, we analyze it and we begin to look for the lies that are embedded in what we're telling ourselves. They're there. And you can unpack it by analyzing it. And then not only acknowledging it and analyzing it, but you ask for counsel. In fact, verse 27 says, begins by saying, why do you say? Now, that's not God speaking. That's actually a third person, a counselor, saying to the one who is dealing with doubt. And it's a reminder that we need one another. We need counselors, whether it's a pastor or a small group, or to be a, a whole community of people that allow people to have unbelief and to engage it in a way that cultivates truth-telling and repair and renewal within the unbelief. And we can remind each other that there's always going to be a waiting. We're promised to wait. Waiting runs throughout the entire Old Testament, waiting on the Lord. And so that if you're in a time of waiting, that's not a surprise. That's exactly what should happen. And there's no time stamp on waiting. You don't know how long. You don't have Amazon.com telling you when UPS is going to make the delivery. You have to wait and wait and wait, trusting on the Lord, believing his promises. My way is hidden from the Lord, but God's promise is behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who love him and fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. That's Psalm 33, 18. So waiting on the Lord, it, it transforms time and it transforms unbelief because in the waiting, the unbelief bubbles up. That's the temptation. But there is this opportunity to remember God, remember who he is, and to speak the promises of Scripture back over the untruths that are confusing you. But third, waiting on the Lord transforms hope. It transforms hope. And again, in, in verse 30 and 31, this wonderful promise, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Many of us are waiting. I know this, as I have the privilege of talking with many of you 
and knowing what you're praying for and knowing what you're waiting for. In fact, in my own prayer list, I, I, went, I went through it yesterday wondering to myself, what is everyone waiting for, that I'm, people I'm praying for? Here is a list. One person is waiting for a grant. Another is waiting for a better housing situation. One is waiting for, well, there's several. Wait, one waiting for recovery from cancer surgery. One waiting for recovery from heart surgery. Another recovery from a car accident. Some are waiting for help uh, and change with the, the affliction of same-sex attraction. Uh, I know of several within our congregation who are waiting for God's help around gender dysphoria. Several are waiting for a job, and then there's others who are waiting for a new job or better job. Some are waiting for God's calling on their life to reveal his, his vocational will about their, their career path. Some are waiting for a family member to be released from jail. I know of another waiting for delayed surgery. Several are waiting for kids to go back to school with a normal routine again. I know several who are hoping and waiting for a job promotion. There are several waiting for Mr. or Ms. Wright, or waiting for Mr. Wright to finally ask. Several are waiting for a certain person to offer forgiveness. Many are waiting in loneliness for friendship. Some are waiting for family members to find stability around mental illness. There, I know of several waiting for marriage to recover, particularly because of infidelity. There are those waiting for reconciliation with an adult child. There are several waiting for a boyfriend, a son, a daughter, a brother, a neighbor, an old friend to find Jesus. There are several who are waiting for their parents to be more understanding and trusting. And I think, uh, well, several of us have been praying in our all-church prayers for revival. We're waiting for revival. And I think probably all of us are waiting for this pandemic to end. As we wait, our first instinct is often self-reliance, to try to get out of the problem ourselves. But the whole reason why we're waiting is because we can't solve the problem. Our self-reliance falls flat, and that produces the next temptation, which is hopelessness. You fall hopeless because you can't fix it, and God doesn't seem to be there, and so you have no hope at all. Even youths, it says in verse 30, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Well then, what are we to do in this hopelessness and in this despair? Well, one of the things that happens in the waiting, and I have experienced this myself, is that there is a realization. And the realization is this, that I'm not waiting for what I thought I was waiting for. And that's part of the whole reason why God has you wait. I'm not really waiting for the thing that I'm waiting. In fact, I'm waiting for something else. The promise comes in three steps in verse 31, and I'll go in reverse order. The third step is, they shall walk and not faint. That is, they, I think that's referring to the strength that's given to walk this life, as walking is often a metaphor for going through life. The second step is this promise, they shall run and not be weary. 
and usually running can be this sense of mission, this purpose in life, this particular mission and purpose that God has given me in the promises that he will give strength to fulfill that calling, that purpose that he has given you. But the most important promise, the most important step, is actually not a step at all. You shall mount up with wings like eagles. This is not a, a promise of moving forward in the waiting. It's a promise of elevation, of being placed on the, the back of, of an eagle and being soaring up higher and higher. And it's a metaphor of being brought into the presence and relationship with God. Because when we wait, what God is promising is not the thing that you've been waiting for. He's actually promising something far better. He's promising himself. That he will bring you up into his presence, into an intimate and wonderful relationship with God. Maybe you've been waiting for a job or for marriage or for health or whatever it is that you're waiting for. Maybe you're actually not waiting for that at all. You've just been a little bit confused and you've misapplied the waiting thinking it's for this particular object. But in fact, God is waiting for you to realize that it's he himself. He himself that is your hope. And we see this in the Old Testament. Psalm 39, 7 says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? The answer, my hope, is in you. Psalm 38, 15, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. I've once waited for something for some time, and I got to the place where I realized, why was I waiting for that? I don't even want that thing anymore. It's not even that important to me. And that's the aha moment in which you begin to realize, well, it says in Lamentations 3.24, that the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. It's he who I've been waiting for all along. Not these other things that come and go. It brings this elevating, amazing discovery. I wasn't waiting for that. I've been waiting for him. And he is right there waiting for you. It's this wonderful dawning. This wonderful transformation of hope within the waiting itself in which you begin to realize what you're truly waiting for. So waiting transforms you. It, waiting will change you. It will tempt you, the waiting. on, But waiting on the Lord, it will transform time teaching you to live in the now. Waiting transforms unbelief, teaching you to remember who God really is, and then it transforms hope. It elevates you to realize that you're not waiting for something. You're waiting for him. Well, it doesn't always end the way you want. That much is clear. But whatever the end, God's waiting is worth the waiting. For me, months passed waiting for Tracy, and I honestly just didn't know what to do. I, I guess I was confused. I misheard. I misunderstood. And I got to a place where I just had empty hands. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I was embarrassed, but so be it. 
we can move on. One day we were having an event at the church, it was a science and faith event, and I sent out an email to a large group of people inviting them to come to this event. And on a whim, I added Tracy, Tracy's email, the invitation. To my astonishment, she wrote back and said, yeah, I would, I would love to come. By the way, are people going to meet afterward for lunch to discuss the, the, the lecture? I thought, wow, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, and I wrote back, yes, people are going to meet for lunch. Why don't you join us? And, and she did. And we had lunch and had a great group discussion around the lecture on science and faith. And, then I, and I uh, said to Tracy and her friend, would you, do you need a ride home? Yeah, that would be great. And then I dropped them off. And I said to Tracy, I got the courage to say to Tracy, is there any chance that you would consider spending some time with me as a friend? And to my astonishment, she said yes. Well, three weeks later, she and I were talking about getting married. Within another month, we were engaged. Three months after that, right here, we were married. Waiting on the Lord was worth it. And he gave me something tremendous, far better than I could have asked or imagined. On our, uh, at our wedding reception, Tracy spoke these words to our guests, many of whom were unbelievers. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord Jesus, we pray that your promises would be true once more for each one of us, seeing you afresh. Lord, we wait on you. We pray that we would know you in a greater way, even as you wait for us. In Jesus' name, amen.